0: the week. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to James chapter two. Last week, we kind of veered away from our study in the book of James. Today, we're going back to it. Um, James chapter two. Um, We're in the midst of a series entitled faith, a faith that works, faith that works. And today we are in James chapter two, verses one through 13. And so James writes to the church, his flock that has been scattered all over um, the region there. But he's writing this letter to them. He writes, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. You have dishonored the poor, for is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And today our message is entitled A Faith That Lives by the Royal Law, or we might subtitle it, A Faith That Has No Favorites. Let's take a moment to pray. And so, Father, we ask you to bless your word to us this morning, God, to um, do with it what you want to do with it in our lives as you see fit to teach us, to instruct us, to lead us in ways of righteousness. So be with us, we pray, in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, just this past year, I was reading about—I know many of you may have read about as well—a church in New York City, um, where, wherein the pastor instructed his volunteer staff to make sure that any famous person who showed up to their services would be led to the front, to a front seat, and to make sure that they were brought to the green room to meet the pastor after the service. Well, eventually, the church became sickened as its leadership got caught up in connecting with the rich and the famous. And in fact, that same pastor, and we don't say this in any positive way at all or anything like that, but that same pastor lost his own moral compass and fell into an immoral relationship. But you see, it all sounds very much like that which James was warning the church against. You know, as we've been going through the book of James, we're asking and answering the question, what does real faith look like? What does it mean to have real faith? That is a faith that saves, or we might say a faith that works. And throughout his letter to his scattered flock, Pastor James is driving home the point that if one really has faith, it will have an effect upon their life, that it will be demonstrated, it will be proven by how they live their life. And the key verse, which we're actually going to get to next week, is is found in James 2.26. This is like the hub of the whole book, where James writes, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or works is dead. Again, James is very direct when he says, Faith without deeds or faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's of no value. In other words, it doesn't save. It doesn't work. He might say to us today, a faith that only a faith that works is a faith that works. Only a faith that works is a faith that works. And as we move into this next part of James' letter, beginning here in chapter two, we'll see that James now begins to dive deeper into some areas of the Christian life to teach us even more specifically how it is we are to live out of our faith, as as James calls us, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. How many of us would say, I'm a believer in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? So if you're raising your hand, James is saying, well, this is how you need to live. If you're really a believer, not just words, but you're really a believer, this is how you're to live. And in this section that we just read, James writes about believers and churches who show favoritism based on outward appearances. He's talking about prejudice, discrimination, judging, giving preference or non-preference based on a human way of thinking rather than living as people of faith. In verse one, verse one, we we. we I read it, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. But actually, in the original language, it's more direct than that. It's a command. He says, stop showing favoritism. Apparently, it was already happening in the church. Stop showing favoritism. The word he uses, one commentator puts it this way, the word he uses refers to the one who shows partiality and respect to the outward circumstances of men and not to their intrinsic merits. And so prefers as the more worthy, for example, one who is rich, highborn, or powerful to another who is destitute of such gifts. James says outright, such ought not be the case among believers in Jesus Christ. For James, this is inconsistent with a true life of faith. It's inconsistent to declare faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and then to make judgments and show partiality or non-partiality based on outward appearances. After all, that's the way the world functions. That's the way people without faith behave. And he goes on in verses 2 and 3 to give us a hypothetical example, right? But it's a situation that, that we can all picture in our minds because in some ways we know it happens all the time in our world and maybe unfortunately even in churches today. So he describes how a man comes into the church who's obviously wealthy. He might be a man of influence and power. He might be famous. And when he walks in, everyone, everyone in the room begins to swoon over him. Heads are turned. People are excited, murmuring, murmuring among themselves. Do you see who's here today? Do you see who just walked in? And the ushers escort him to the best seat in the house. He's treated like royalty. He's taken to the green room. At the same time, an obviously poor guy dressed in shabby clothes comes in. No one turns their head. He's basically ignored and left to fend for himself. And when he can't figure out where to stand, where to sit, he's rudely told to go, you know, go stand in the corner or sit here on the floor. It's a picture we can all draw in our minds because it's a picture with which we're all too familiar. You know, I was thinking about this, that you know whenever whenever a big name comes to faith in Christ the actor the politician the, the music star whomever it might be but whenever a big name comes to faith in Christ the church gets all excited doesn't it right we and we give them a platform to preach and teach often long before they're ready to handle that platform and all the while we just walk by and are sometimes rude towards the poor guy without influence the average person without any clout, the man or woman who maybe needs more help than they can give. James would say to us, you know what, church? Just stop it. Just stop it. It ought not be that way. And in verse four, James brings his in- indictment. He says, listen, when you do this, you've discriminated among yourselves. That we're discriminated speaks of of creating divisions, you've divided up the church body, a body that's meant to be one, a body that's been united, but, but you've created a system that is prejudiced towards some and prejudiced against others, and so you've created these man-made categories and divisions within the body. And he says and you've become judges with evil thoughts or evil motives that is you've taken on on worldly unchristian standards of judging people you've created a system of judging others that is injurious and destructive to both the people involved including yourself and to the church as a whole you're acting like people of the world people who have no faith And James then goes on to give two arguments why it is that we as people and how it is that we as people of faith need to be careful not to allow this kind of favoritism, discrimination and prejudice to come in among us. He, first of all, is saying to us, listen, people of faith see others, the people around them, from God's perspective. They see others from God's perspective perspective. And, and, and he's already touched in chapter one somewhat on seeing life in general from God's perspective. But, you know, the Bible shows us a few things about how it is that God looks pe- at people, his perspective on people, and how it is he judges them. For one, the Bible shows us that God is impartial, right? Do you know that? God is impartial, that God has no favorites, For Romans chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul writes, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Ephesians 6 says this, the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free, and there is no favoritism within him. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 1:17: since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. You see, church, the ground is level not only before the cross, as we say, but also before the throne. Do you know that the ground is level before the throne? That is for all people, rich or poor, black, white, male, female, Jew, Gentile, all people will be judged on the same basis. There's no prejudice with God. He doesn't have one standard for one group of people and another standard for someone else. The second thing the Bible shows us, and it just kind of flows out of all this, is that, is that God looks at the heart. Right? Do you know that? That God is not so interested in the outward. First Samuel 16, 7 says this, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at what? The heart. Is he to show favoritism and prejudice? Is to have lost God's perspective. For God doesn't judge based on external matters. God's not swayed by riches or fame or power. In fact, in fact, the Bible shows us He most often uses the humble, the little, the small people of this world to promote His purposes. For God looks at the heart. I think of Paul's words in First Corinthians chapter one, where Paul says, "Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called." Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Wow. God choosing the people that we would never choose. That's what he does. Why? Because he's not looking at the outward. He's looking at the heart. But the third thing we need to understand about God's perspective, and James, James alludes to this here, is that God has a heart for the poor, for the oppressed, for the downcast, those who are on the bottom rungs of the society. James writes, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the, in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, And to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And throughout the Bible, we see God's concern for the poor, those who are at the bottom. God's always concerned, even as we saw a couple weeks ago, he's always concerned for the orphans, the widows. He's concerned for the aliens, the immigrants, the outcasts, those who have no way to really provide for themselves. That is God's heart. His favor leans towards those who are poor. Now, listen, we need to understand James, as much of Scripture in this area, is speaking in generalizations. He wasn't saying that every poor person is saved and going to heaven and that every rich person is condemned. But rather, he's drawing attention to what is quite obvious, that the poor are the ones who are most often sensitive to their need for God and to the gospel. So James says that they're the ones who are rich in faith. Thus, the church was for the most part in James Day and even throughout history, the church has for the most part been been made up of people who are poor, poor people who have found their hope through faith in Jesus Christ. Poor people who say, listen, this world, this world's not taking me anywhere, but there's someone, a savior up above who has something that's so much better than what this world is able to offer. And the rich James points out, well, it was the rich who were most often the oppressors and those who rejected the gospel. In fact, as you read through the Bible, you often find God opposing the rich, often the wicked. The wicked are equated with the rich. Why? Because as James states, they were often those who were oppressing the poor. They were the ones who were twisting justice in their favor, using their wealth and their power for selfish means and opposing the things of God. James says the rich were the ones who were blaspheming the name The name of Christ. We all know Jesus spoke of how difficult it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven like a camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. After all, their lives are often so consumed with the affairs of this world and the material gain it can offer to the point that they fail to realize their need for a savior, their need for God. Again, these are generalizations, but the fact was the church to which James was writing was, for the most part, made up of of poor people who knew what it meant to be oppressed and persecuted at the hands of the wealthy around them. And thus, James is kind of saying, listen, to favor the rich man when he comes in against the poor, well, it's, it's to take the wrong side. You're taking the wrong side. But more than that, it was to miss God's heart, Jesus' heart which was always first and foremost for the poor. You know, the apostle Paul wrote in Second Corinthians 5, right, he wrote these words. He said, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly or carnal point of view. We regard no one from a worldly or carnal point of view. We don't see them just through human eyes, but we see them with spiritual eyes. You see, when we show favoritism and prejudice towards or against based on external qualities, we're revealing that we've lost God's perspective, God's eyes. For rather than seeing each person as God does with those spiritual eyes without any prejudice or favoritism, we end up looking at people around us from a worldly or carnal perspective, a perspective that sets people into human categories. And by those categories, we determine who's most important, who's most valuable, who's most worthy of respect, doing So even at the expense of others, we see people of real faith, faith that works. They don't fall into that trap, but rather they see those around them from God's perspective. No favoritism, no prejudice or discrimination. But secondly, James goes on, he says this people of faith live by the royal law, by the royal law. When he uses that term royal law, he's speaking about the law, a law that governs all other laws. It's a law that is above every law. And and, and then he says, and here's that law, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when Jesus was asked, what was the greatest commandment, he responded with, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, the second is like it or equivalent to it. It's not just second, like below it, but it's, it's equivalent to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And James takes hold of this and basically says that to show favoritism or prejudice is to break the royal law, the law that's above every other law. And that means to break this law makes one a lawbreaker. And I was thinking, now, why does James put it this way? Why is James referring to the law? And then then I remembered that the congregation to which he was writing was basically a Jewish congregation, Believers in Jesus, but they were, were, were Jewish. And most likely, this was a congregation who would point out that they were living good, clean lives. They weren't involved in pagan worship. They weren't involved in immoral living. Again, since they were, they, they were Jewish in, in their background and so forth, they most likely kept the Sabbath and the kosher laws and so forth. But James points out that even if you keep all the others, to break just one law makes you a lawbreaker. How much more that would be the case if one breaks the royal law, the law that governs all the others? For to break the law at one point, James says, means breaking the law altogether. And this would be especially so if you break the royal law. One commentator writing about this passage says this discriminating against people on the basis of their dress, their nationality, social class or race is a clear violation of the unbounded love to which Jesus calls us. And so James in verses 12 and 13, he reminds us that, listen, we're all going to stand before God and give an account for how it is we've lived our lives. In fact, you know, Jesus says that we will even be held accountable for the words that we speak. Wow. I mean, that goes into what James is going to talk about when he talks about the tongue. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so you see, when we favor one person over another, we've set ourselves up as judges who will then ourselves come under the judgment that we've dispensed. And thus, we need to be very careful how it is we make our judgments. As James says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Or Jesus said, "Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. But as James points out, mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you glad for that? Mercy triumphs. We escape judgment or judgment is negated by being people who live by and show mercy. And so you see to show favoritism to one person over another based on outward appearance or external factors is to become a judge without mercy. That's why James says earlier, we have become judges with evil thoughts or motives. And the answer, the remedy is to live by the royal law, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the law, James says, that gives freedom. You don't need to like worry about keeping like 500, I forget how many laws it it is and all, all the details of every law. James says, listen, this is the law that gives freedom. Just concentrate on this one law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else will fall into place. But to break this law puts you in a very precarious position. And so James says, listen, listen, the answer is simply this. Live by the royal. Stop showing favoritism. How do I do that? Live by the royal law. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, church, we have to admit that there are still lots of places in our society, lots of churches that make judgments based on the external, there are people, places, and churches that distinguish and divide people into all kinds of categories, and thus they decide who's most worthy of respect and honor and mercy and who's not. And that includes not only judgments based on wealth versus poverty, but also those that are based on the color of one's skin or one's religion or one's race, one's nationality, and, and so forth. We love our categories, don't we? You know, I'm um, I was reading recently about the founding of the AME Church that is um, the excuse me, the um, African Methodist Episcopal Church. I wonder how many of us are familiar with that. It was the first all-black denomination in the U.S. And I bring it up because it's kind of like what James was talking about here. But this church, AME Church, began in, in 1787 with a group of black Americans. They were mostly former slaves who were part of St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church in um, Philadelphia. And as their numbers grew, the leadership, which at the time was all white, relegated to them, decided to relegate them to a particular seating area so that the blacks among them wouldn't mix with the white congregants. And so, well... You're black. You have to go sit in the back over there. In fact, at one point, because some of them were praying on their knees, kind of unknowingly, they were praying where they weren't supposed to pray. They were actually picked up and carried out of the church by some of the ushers. And so it's no wonder that part of the congregation walked out and eventually formed their own denomination, for they no longer felt welcome. I wonder what God thought of the faith of those Christians in that church that day. And, of course, this is the kind of thing that's happened many times over within the church and in history and here in America. Even the Assemblies of God, we have our own, like, history in these areas that we're not always so proud of. But why do I bring this up? Listen, I don't bring it up to condemn or to heap guilt on anyone or on any group, or to force us into the past. We can't can't go back. But I do have to wonder, what would have happened? What could have happened if the Church of Jesus Christ here in America had taken to heart and put into practice James' words? What if mercy had flowed among God's people instead of judgment, discrimination, favoritism, and prejudice? Kim, if you come, please, thank you. You see, the call to us today, the call to us today is simply this, to be people, Christians, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, to be a church who sees each person as God sees them, as people who are loved by God, created in his image and thus worthy of respect, in need of the great gift of salvation and always welcome into our midst to be a people who would live by the royal law. And so, church, here's the thing, as James would say to us, let's not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. As we hear the instruction and we put into practice James' words, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, stop showing favoritism. Stop making distinctions. Stop putting people into categories. You see, that's a faith that works. That's a faith that puts into practice all that we say we believe about Jesus Christ and the gospel. For the apostle Paul wrote these words, I close with them from Galatians 3. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do we see what the gospel does? do Do we see what Jesus has done? He takes people from every category that we've created. From every category. And as we put our faith in Jesus, the categories Disappear. The walls fall down. Paul says elsewhere, the wall of hostility is, a, is abolished. And we become one people in and through the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Because I want to tell you today, because I don't know everybody who's here this morning or online. I just want to tell you that no matter who you are, no matter your status in life, whether you're rich or poor, educated, not educated, black, white, Asian, and so forth, male or female, Jew or Gentile, I want to tell you this morning, God doesn't see you according to the categories. But God sees you as a man, as a woman, as a young person for whom he sent his son Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you, to pay the price for your sin. And he wants to give to you the gift of salvation. It's a gift that's for everyone, for every person, that no matter who you are, where you come from, what your background, doesn't matter what category others have put you into, Jesus came for you, that you might know forgiveness of sin and the hope of salvation. And I want to encourage you today, I want to encourage you today, if you've never taken a step of faith, but to put your faith, to become a believer in the glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to do so today and let him, by his Holy Spirit, begin to give you a new life, begin to wash away every sin and give you hope for eternity. Come on, church, will you bow your heads with me as we pray and I'm going to ask the worship team to come and prepare. And just begin to pray. I think those of us who are believers here today, we just need to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us how today's words from the book of James apply to our own life. What does God want you to do with his word? What areas in your life need to be brought in line with his word? Maybe some of us need to repent of some things today. Others of us just need to commit ourselves to being the kind of people that God has called us to be. And if you're here and again or online with us and you know that today you need to give your life to God through faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, I just invite you to begin to pray right now. Pray right now. Begin to say, God, I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for for the promise you've given to me that that no matter who I am or where I've been or even what I've done in the past, but Lord, Lord, you sent your son Jesus for me that I might know forgiveness of sin, that I might break free from the categories of this world that have, have just kept me boxed up and I might become one with the people of God, that I might know the hope of eternal life, that I might know what it is to be set free from my sin and live my life in a new way. Lord, I just pray for those right now, maybe someone here in this congregation, someone online who's reaching out to you for the very first time, God, that by your spirit you would go to them, that today they would become a new creation. They would know newness of life. And Lord, I pray for for us as a church body, for the believers who are here today. Lord, that you would help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Lord, I know sometimes it's hard for us to kind of deal with these things and hear these things. and The, the world would want to tell us how to live and so forth, but God, we want to live according to your word. So I pray that the seed that's been planted in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits today would bring forth the kind of fruit that you so desire, that your Holy Spirit would water it today and let it grow within us, that we would be people who would see those around us as you see them, and people who would be empowered by your Spirit to live according to the royal law, that you would be pleased with us in every way. And so we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for that this morning. For those of you who are online, I'm not sure here in the sanctuary, there, there should be a, a, a phone number coming up, a text number there. And if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send your prayer request to us that we could pray for you this week. But as well, maybe if if today you're you're giving your life to God through faith in Jesus for the first time. You can just send a message to that text number. And just say, say I, I need prayer. I want to follow Jesus. You can just put something simple like that. And um, someone will respond to you and we'll be praying for you this week. I did fail earlier to welcome the family uh, that, that's here with um, Austin and Alexis. Thank you for being with us here here today. God bless all the way from Arkansas. They came and also, um, also the family here with Peter and Mariana. God bless you all. We just stand together. Let's just look to the Lord and just make this song, our prayer of dedication.